So we're going to be co- we're going to cover Philippians 4, 2 through 9. I titled tonight's message, Taking Back Your Joy. And so I don't know everybody here, um, but I'm, I'm, I'm positive of this. I'm positive that there are believers present that, that need to take their joy back. And uh, joy is a unique thing because as a believer, it's ours. It's, it's something that we're just supposed to have, but there are things we can do to let it go. There are things that can get in the way. And so Paul in the book of Philippians, duh, I mean, shares many things that would really help us to have joy, help us to get our joy back if we lost it. But even teaching us, you know, how to maintain a joyful disposition as a child of God. In chapter four, though, in these cha- verses two through nine, we have five things that we're going to look at, um, five things that can rob you of your joy and what we can do about them. And so in verses two and three, we're going to look at how personal conflict can rob you of your joy and what we can do about that. In verses four and five, we're going to look at how a bad attitude can rob you of your joy and what you can do about that. In verses six and seven, we'll see how anxiety can rob you of your joy and what we can do about it. In verse eight, we're going to see how meditating on the wrong things can rob you of your joy in the Lord. And lastly, in verse nine, we're going to see that following wrong examples can rob you of your joy. And so I'm going to open up with a word of prayer and uh, just ask the Lord to meet us in this place. Amen. Father in heaven, we thank you for the privilege of gathering like this. Uh, We thank you for the time of praise and worship and those that led us in uh, just praising you in song. And just we were reminded as we sang the words of the song of who you are and what you've done for us. And uh, God, why why we're so blessed to be in relationship with you. Uh, God, I pray now as we turn our attention to your word, we believe that your word is living and powerful, that this book is supernatural. And there are things that you want to reveal to us and speak to us tonight that would help us and cause us to walk more closely with you. So God, I pray that you give each one of us ears to hear what your spirit is saying to each one of us. God, I pray for those that are present that are lacking joy. God, I pray you would especially meet them tonight. I pray, God, that you would renew them. I pray you would move among us in a powerful way and that we would leave this place full of joy, full of your spirit, uh, fully surrendered to walk with you. So God, speak to us now. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen, amen. All right, so... Look at Philippians 4 now. Um, Again, picking up at verse 2. This book is written by the Apostle Paul. Where is Paul at when he wrote this letter? Somebody say it loud. Pre-in-prison. So I just want to point that out, that he's in prison for doing what God said do. He could have been writing a real bummer of a letter, but Paul's making good use of his time in prison, writing letters to encourage Christians in other places. I bring that up to make this point, that... Paul has, he, he uniquely qualifies to tell us how to get joy when things are not going well. Because he's in prison while he's writing this letter. Amen. It's not like Paul's on a vacation in Hawaii saying, you guys should just be happy. You know, he's in prison for doing the right things. Had, you know, he got treated bad, done wrong, and he's still finding a way to make good use of his time and be edifying to other people. So he uniquely qualifies. Sometimes people don't want to be told stuff by people. They feel like, you don't know what I'm going through. You know, you ain't never been broke. You know, you got somebody that been broke got to tell you about how to be okay broke. Well, Paul's there. He'd been broke. He'd been to jail. He'd been beat up. He'd been in prison, everything. So he uniquely qualifies to say everything he getting ready to say. I just want y'all to know that. So y'all can put, you can open up your ears and just receive real well what he's going to say to you tonight. So look at verse two and three. And this is the first thing that can rob us of our joy in the Lord. Personal conflict. 
The Philippian church overall was a good church. Things had been going very well. But in verses two and three, we find that there's two sisters in the church that were having some kind of a beef. And they get, y'all laughing. So, you know, it might be some sisters here. Y'all gonna get it right tonight. You're gonna feel this. <laughs> These two women are in scripture for all of eternity. Their names are in the book. Don't nobody here want that. Amen. Because they was beefing. So look at what it says, verses two and three. It says, I implore Judea and I implore Sintichi. Now, that's the best I can do with that. It might, it's, like a, it's like a Cynthia, a uh, Hebrew Cynthia. I'm going to call her Sintichi. Um, so I implore Judea and I implore Sintichi. That's what I'm going to call her. Don't matter. Uh, to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, Help these women who labored, past tense, with me in the gospel, with Clement also and with the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. And so he's, he's, he's imploring these two. When that word implore, it means I exhort or I beg you, please. These women are, whatever, whatever beef they're having, notice that they used to be Helpful. They used to be in the ministry together. In verse 3, it says they, they used to labor with Paul and some of the other believers in the gospel. But you know what happens when believers start fighting? The work stops. That's sometimes the enemy's ploy. If he can get us to stop looking outward, to stop reaching out, to stop you know, focusing on, we're trying to go get those that don't know yet. If we stop doing that and start fighting each other, Satan's like, y'all, y'all do that. He'll just back off. That's exactly what he wants. And the work stopped. These women that were for, for a season, they were part of the gospel ministry with Paul and Clement and all the other believers. He says, now I'm, I'm begging you that you guys would be of the same mind in the Lord. You guys would stop it. Could you guys come back together? Could you guys get back into a place of unity? And so anybody here that's got some strife or beef going with somebody, you know this for a fact, it will zap your joy, Right? You won't be joyful while you're beefing with somebody. You just can't do it. You won't have a joyful heart while you, you're feeling angry towards a brother or anger towards a sister. If you got some skirmish going on and, you know, you're fighting and going back and forth, that's a different kind of energy. Anybody here that's got that kind of stuff going on, it takes energy. It takes a lot of energy. And it'll just zap you. It'll zap you of your joy in the Lord. It'll zap you of your purpose. And if you let it take you too far, It'll rob you of your witness because other people will see you and listen to what you're saying. It'll rob your witness in the Lord. And so Paul blasts them, right? Is this right for Paul to do? Is this, sure it is because they're messing up the more important ministry is the gospel going out. They're messing it up. And so Paul said, man, would you implore them? Beg, you know, Judea and beg Sintichi or whoever she is, beg them and this is how we fix it, right? These are not non-believers. These are believers that are tripping. He said, this is how we fix it. Be of the same mind. And you should highlight or underline or note the phrase in the Lord. That's the place of unity for the believer. In the church of Jesus Christ, there are different types of people with different types of personalities and different viewpoints and different ways of seeing things. But the one thing where we should be able to be brought together is in the Lord. Amen. And the, the Lord, there are people that I have intimate, deep fellowship with. And the only thing I have in common with them is the Lord. Some of my, I have a, one of my best friends is in Utah 
He's a white dude. I'm a black dude. I grew up in Inglewood. He grew up in, you know, Bellflower or Downey or somewhere like that. We grew up totally different. I, I play football. He likes golf. You know, I like sports cars. He likes trucks. You know, he does construction. I can't construct nothing to save my life. I, I ain't even do Legos as a kid. But when we met, we both love Jesus and we love the word of God. And we've been like, that's been my bro ever since. 20 years and plus, you know, that's been one of the guys that we talk on a regular basis. And we have intimate fellow. All we still have in common is Jesus. And that's enough that we would be of the same mind in the Lord. Amen. If Paul is imploring, he's begging them, I'm here tonight begging you, particularly if you're sitting here and you know right now where you sit. There may be people in this church, because this, this is your church, I'm presuming, that you got issues with. There are people that I don't want to sit by her. <laughs> you know, I don't want to serve in that ministry no more because of them or whatever. If that's you, I beg you tonight that you would go get that stuff squared away, that you wouldn't let that fester any further then you would figure out how to be a one mind in the Lord with that person. Here's a few verses that speak to how we can come back together when there is a lack of unity, when there is, you know, disagreement with people. Um, One, the Bible encourages us that we would, um, we would all, um, that we, there would be a, that we, we would be forgiving one another. It says in Ephesians 4, 26 and 27, that we're to I'm sorry, Ephesians 4, 32, that we're to be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. And sometimes that's what needs to happen so that there can be unity again. We need to forgive one another. Um, And if there's someone that you need to forgive tonight, I I beg you, I implore you, use Paul's word, which is to beg you, forgive them. And you don't have to go to them and be weird and say, I just want you to know I forgive you, you know. Don't do that. Please don't do that and, and, and say, I told you to do it. Forgiveness is, it might just be for you that you can forgive them. God, I, I need to let that go. I'm a, tonight I'm letting that go. And maybe from now on, if you've been stinky with them, you can just speak. How you doing? And you just can reaffirm your love for them in the Lord and, and walk in unity. So you can get back to doing what God called you to do because I guarantee you, that's zapping you of your joy in the Lord. And that's not what the Lord wants for you. He said this in verse three. Um, he says, and I urge you, true companion. So there's someone, it may be who, who's carrying the letter for Paul. He's calling someone a true companion. He doesn't name them, but he says to my true companion, he says, help these women. The Bible says in Galatians 6, 1, that when, when somebody's overtaken in a fault, it says, brethren, if a man is overtaken in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. And here Paul is calling this brother, whoever this person is, he says, as a true companion, he says, man, would you go and implore them? Would you go get these women together? Um, and I'm urging you, true companion, to help, help these women, come alongside them, help them. I would just say this in the body of Christ. Maybe you're here and you're an older saint, not old in age, but you've been walking with the Lord longer and when you see skirmishes happen, you want to be the one to go and say, bro, let me tell you how to handle that. Let me encourage you to forgive. Don't be, a, don't be an ear of gossip. Don't be an ear. Don't let your ears be trash cans for somebody to dump on you about somebody else. You make sure that you restore them and you encourage them how to get this thing right. It's for the benefit of the whole church. It's for the benefit of the church. And it's for the benefit of the person that you're dealing with that's not really doing well in their walk with the Lord. They're struggling at that moment. He says, I want you to help these women who, who labored with me in the gospel with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers 
whose names are written in the book of life. And that's how we know that these are believers that he's speaking about. And so I just want you to notice that it says it's past tense. It says that these women who labored past tense with me in the gospel, because right now they're not laboring with me in the gospel because they're fighting with each other. And that's what will happen when believers start to go at each other. We're no longer, you know, doing the work. We're, we're fighting with one another. I know when um, I used to play basketball, you play at the park. And if you play park ball or if you play even organized basketball, it's always a bad sign when a team is arguing among themselves. Amen. If they start fighting among themselves, you're like, oh, we ain't even got to do nothing now. We just got to play okay. You know, they're going to beat themselves. You know, they're over there arguing for the ball and fighting for the ball. You love to see that if it's not your team. I don't want to see that on my Lakers. I want to see that on the other teams, you know. (laughs) Amen. Clippers fans, go home. All right. (laughs) All right. So here go a few verses. uh, And it just ministers to us how to deal with the conflict. If you got conflict going on, a few verses, Ephesians 4, 26 and 27, it says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. And notice the next verse, nor give place to the devil. So how long do you get to be mad for you deal with it? Not that long. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Some of y'all don't let years go down on your wrath. And that's why you all messed up. So Paul says, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. But he gives us a real insight, nor give place to the devil. Because when you stay mad a long time, you're giving place to the devil. What does it mean to give place to the devil? Would anybody here willingly open up a door in your life and say, devil, come in here? I hope not. You have to be a special kind of stupid, right? (laughs) Nobody would open a door and say, devil, you can come. You can lodge right here. Nobody in their right mind would do that. But Paul is saying, look, when when you stay angry, you're actually giving place to the devil. You're leaving room for the devil. And so that's why you don't want to stay angry. That's why you want to learn how to forgive and release people. Forgiveness doesn't require anything on the part of the person you've forgiven. So some people think, well, I'll forgive them if they ask me. No, don't require that. You can just forgive them for your benefit. Forgive them for Christ's sake. Forgive them so you can go free, so you're not bitter and all messed up. Just forgive them. Let them off the hook and go on about your life. Forgiveness doesn't mean you got to let them back in, right? If you steal money from me and I forgive you, it means I'm not going to beat you up when I see you. It doesn't mean you're going to be in my house. doesn't mean you're going to get you know, access to my bank account. It don't mean that I got to set myself up to endure another theft from you. But it means that I, I, I released you from that. I've let you off the hook. You can go. I'm going to see you and you can keep walking. There you go. God bless you. You know, so that's I've released you. I forgave you. Doesn't mean I got to let you back in to continue to do it. So don't let the sun go down on your wrath. The next verse is in Hebrews 12, 14 and 15. It says, pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone falls short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble. And by this, many become defiled. And that's what bitterness does. When bitterness springs up in one person, it, it defiles many. You know why? Because you spread it. When people are bitter, it just kind of, it's kind of, it becomes the overflow of their heart. And if you talk to your friend and your friend's bitter, the people that they're bitter with, because bitter people want other people to feel about the people they're bitter with the way they feel. So if you ever talk to a bitter person, hey, how's Ralph doing? Oh, Ralph, oh, I can't stand Ralph, Ralph. You know, and it just, I just asked how the brother was doing, man. Is he okay? Is he living? I mean, he, he'd give me a marathon story about how terrible he is. You know, that's how you know you're bitter. If you can't say nothing good about a person, you're bitter. 
If the overflow of your heart about them is bad, you're bitter. If you feel angry when they're doing well, you're bitter. If you scroll across their Facebook and they look happy and it upsets you, you're bitter. You need to stop it. So he says, don't do that. It's a root of bitterness will spring up in you and it'll defile many other people. Once again, we already looked at Ephesians 4, 32. Forgive other people as Christ forgave you. God forgave you of everything. Amen. And y'all, are are we bad people, you guys? Do y'all know how bad y'all are? Ain't nobody sinned against you as much as you sinned against God. It's not possible because you've been sinning against God for your whole life. And so whatever offense you may have, let it go. And forgive them the way Christ forgave you. Christ let you free. Aren't you thankful for that? I'm glad that I know when I die, I'm not going to stand before God and God say, let me talk to you about a few things. No, my sins are washed away. I'm thankful for that. I'm so glad my sins are washed away. And God is, a, you know, the blood of Jesus is a complete, you know, and like he cleaned dishes halfway, you know, they, it's completely cleansed. I don't, they're washed away. They've been paid in full on the cross. I'm thankful. God says, forgive other people the way I forgave you. The way you feel free, you need to give that away too. Let other people feel forgiven, feel free, feel let off the hook by you. Amen. It'll set you free if you do it. And it'll keep you from losing your own joy because holding on to personal conflict is one way that believers can have their joy robbed. But the way we get it back is through forgiveness and restoration when possible. But forgiveness. You forgive people, you let them off the hook, you'll have your joy back. You'll be right where God wants you to be. Amen? Moving on now, the second way that you can lose your joy in the Lord is having a bad attitude. So don't raise your hand, but if you're here and you have a bad attitude, you know it. Um, Some people do. They're even, and they're Christians that they just got bad attitudes. How do you know if you have bad attitudes? You know it because everybody, your people that know you know it. You know, your family members know it. Your husband or wife know it. Your neighbors know it. You may have folk at church that know you well enough to be like, nah, that that brother right there, man, he just got a bad attitude, man. He just, you know, you really don't want to have that kind of character as a child of the living God. We got to do better than that. Amen? Amen. So Paul says this in verse uh, four. He says, rejoice. And this is a command. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Then he says, and let your gentleness be known to all men for the Lord is at hand. First of all, Paul gives a command to rejoice in the Lord. The Greek word for rejoice is chero or chero. It's related to cherish, which is which we get grace from, um, because in the same way that grace is, we're kind of given something that we don't deserve. To rejoice is a grace. God says, I've given you the ability to be able to rejoice. Everybody here that is born again and have a relationship with the Lord can rejoice. And you have things for which to rejoice. So when God commands you to rejoice, we don't have to rejoice in bad things that have happened. So if you crash your car, you don't have to get out and say, God, I just I rejoice in my busted car. You know, yeah, that's not what we're saying. This is what it means. No matter what's going on, crash car, the dog dies, bad diagnosis, difficulty at work, loss of a job, a damaged relationship. God says, rejoice in what? In the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Because we can always rejoice in the Lord. 
that's the place where we can always rejoice because it's in the Lord that I have relationship with the living God. It's in the Lord that my sins are forgiven. It's in the Lord that everything in my life is made different. It's in the Lord that I have a hope beyond this life. So even when it's really bad in this life, I got hope beyond this life in the Lord. Amen. So when Paul says, look, rejoice in the Lord. Don't be walking around having a bad attitude. Don't be an Eeyore Christian. Always bummed out. What kind of a witness is that? I hate to see Christians that are always bummed. How you doing, bro? Oh, you know, man, I'm just, you know, I'm just day, day by day. I'm just getting by. It's just, you know, it's rough out here. You, know? you ain't never got nothing good to say, bro. You woke up. Did you eat food? You got coffee in your hand. I mean, get rejoiced for something, you know. Don't be that kind of believer. One, it's a bad witness. It is a bad testimony to the Lord who loves you and saved you and you're in relationship with him. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. And he says, it's emphatic. Again, I say rejoice. He had to double up on the rejoice. And it's a command. Here's the cool thing. God won't command you to do something you're not able to do with his help. So if God commands you to rejoice, you can rejoice. Um, and You may need help. You may need a perspective change. You may need to get your eyes back on the Lord in order to rejoice. Um, But you can rejoice if you're a believer. Now, this is only true for believers. If you're here today, you're not a believer yet. I pray that you will be a believer before you leave this place. Um, Because these things are only true for those that have been forgiven by Christ and are in relationship with the living God. There's a hope that we have that, that it's not for everybody. But if you're here and that's your reality, you're in relationship with the Lord, your sins are forgiven, you're going to heaven when you die, you can talk to God whenever you want. He speaks to you through his word. God says, man, rejoice in me. I'm worthy of, you can rejoice about me, can't you? And I would encourage you here, if you're somebody that struggles with that, maybe you just haven't had the right perspective, but the Lord would say to you, don't don't continue to have a bad attitude. Don't walk around like that. Rejoice in the Lord. And he says, and again, I will say, Rejoice. Then he says, again, verse five, he says, and let your gentleness be known to all men because the Lord is at hand. That word gentleness, it means not being unduly rigorous. Um, it, it, it's a, a, one of the translations said it was a, a sweet reasonableness. Um, and so when it says, let your gentleness be made known, are you a difficult person? Anybody here know some difficult people? can't please them. They're just difficult. They're rigid. They're harsh. You know, you can never do it good enough for them. It's just coffee. Is this the way you like it? No, it's not dark enough. Is it like it like that? No, it's too dark now. It's just, just rigid. You know, when it says, let your gentleness be known, it's, it's a not unduly rigorous or difficult, a sweet reasonableness. Let your gentleness be made known to all people. Why? Because the Lord is at hand. And I'll tell you this, as, as much as the first verse said, rejoice in the Lord, it's telling you to rejoice, telling you to find it in yourself to rejoice and focus on the Lord. That's internal. That's going to affect your attitude, your heart. But then the next part has to do with the overflow. Let your gentleness be made known. Everybody ought to see the difference in you too. People ought to see that as you're rejoicing in the Lord, there's a sweet reasonableness about you. You're not as difficult an individual as you were before. You're not as harsh or difficult to please. You're not just a difficult, harsh individual because you're rejoicing in the Lord. It's changed your perspective. Um, Some people here, maybe you work in the world and you feel like I got to be this way in order to don't, don't buy into that. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. And you're not like everybody else that works where you work. You're indwelled by the spirit of the living God. You belong to Jesus and you're not like everybody else. 
And so don't buy into the perspective that says, oh, we got to do this or people will walk all over me. They will walk all over you. They walked all over Jesus and you'll let him take care of that when it happens. But you be who God called you to be. Amen. Don't let a job or a, a, a perspective in this world change you from being what you know God made you to be. God made us to be different. We won't be like everybody else. Uh, there, there should be a sweet reasonableness about us. Uh, they, people should know, you know, I, I know we can get something done. We can work. I can, I can reason with this person. You know, they're, they're not unduly difficult. And if you are unduly difficult, uh, maybe you need to go home and ask the people to live with you. Am I difficult? Am I, am I? Some of you parents need to go ask your kids so you can find out how you really are and repent and do better. Amen? All the parents said, that was weak. That was quiet. All right. <laughs> moving on, moving on. So th- there should be a sweet gentleness about us. And so again, that's the second thing that can rob us of our joy, a bad attitude. Um, the third thing that we want to look at in verses six and seven is how that anxiety can rob you of your joy in the Lord. And let me say this up front. I know there's two veins of anxiety and a look at it. There's, there's anxiety that is, you know, medical and there's chemical imbalances and there's, you know, there's a real clinical challenge and an issue. I've seen that. That's not what I'm talking about. The anxiety I'm talking about is you're anxious about stuff. Things are happening that got you feeling some kind of way. You're anxious about situations and scenarios and things that are happening or not happening. You're worried, you're a worry wart. That sort of anxiety, that's what we're talking about here. So I'm not putting down someone that's got a medical condition that there's nothing they can do about. I'm talking about believers that think too much and give too, you know, think too long on situations and get anxious and get worried and start fear, become fearful. That's who I'm speaking to. That's who the scripture here is speaking to. So look at now verses six and seven. It says, be anxious for nothing. That's a command, by the way, all of verse six is a command and all of verse seven is a promise that is intended to be given to the person that follows the command of verse six. So verse six says, be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So let's run that back. He says, be anxious for what? Nothing. Nothing. So there shouldn't be anything that you allow yourself to become anxious about. So, and this is something we have to train ourselves to obey. So when you get ready to feel anxious about something, you can say, no, I don't have to feel anxious about that. Right? Sometimes we feel anxious because we think that things are our to deal with, but it's really the Lord's. So if I take stuff upon myself that's really the Lord's, I can become anxious. But if I give it back to the Lord, say, God, it's not my problem. That's your problem. I'm not going to be anxious. I'm going to, instead of being anxious, he tells us what to do. Instead of, instead of sitting down being anxious, thinking too much, going crazy and getting all weird, he says, don't be anxious. Instead, pray about everything and give us some specific ways to pray. But I want to just be, I want to hammer home the point where he says, don't be anxious about anything, nothing. Uh, it's a rule of thumb for me. I, I won't let other people make me anxious. I don't, I tend to not like salespeople because salespeople try to, you know, I'm, I, one, I'm used to be a hustler. So I'll be feeling like they're trying to play me anyway. You, you don't really care about me and my well-being. You're just trying to get a commission off of me. I feel like you're trying to play me, blah, blah, blah. But the other thing is they try to press you, you know, salesmen. If you're a salesman here tonight, I love you. God bless you. Just don't do it to me. You, you catch a different brother, right? So they, they press upon you and they're like, you know, but if you do it today, you got to do it today. No, I got to do nothing today, bro. I got to do nothing today. 
I'm not, you're not going to make me anxious about this. You're not going to make me feel like if I don't do it today, this deal is supposed to be for me. It'll be here tomorrow or next week when I get ready to come back, you know? And so, and that's how I live. I don't, I won't budge on that. We were buying my wife a car last, a year and a half ago, and somebody left a, a Nissan. They traded in at a, I don't know if it was a Chevy or some kind of dealer, and they couldn't get it off the lot. And so it was, it was low, but I was trying to get it lower. And the guy said, man, we got to, you know, if you, if you come this week, we got to just kind of sell. And I'm like, eh, no, nah, I'm going away for a week, you know? And we went away for a week and prayed, Lord, if it's intended to be for us, let it be there when we get back. We got back, it was still there and it was cheaper now. You know, that been here a whole week. You, it lasted through your whole sale and nobody wanted it. You know, I don't know if I want it now, you know, so going to cost, it's going it's to have to come down some more, sir. You know, I'm, I'm, I've lost interest with everybody else, you know, so be anxious for nothing. Don't let anybody make you anxious about things that you're rushing to make decisions. Instead of being anxious, when your flesh begins to feel tempted to be anxious, instead, this is what you do. Paul says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, about everything, by prayer, your communication with the Lord. You have access through the vehicle of prayer to communicate with the living God whenever you want. He can do anything. He knows everything. He's available 24-7 and he loves you. Amen? And he said, don't be anxious. Don't worry, but don't act like you don't know me. Don't act like your daddy is not all that. You, you could call me. So, you know, imagine what that looks like to the Lord when we're his kids and we're down here anxious and worried, and God is saying, you wouldn't even talk to me. How many of you guys would feel embarrassed if your kids were running to the neighbor saying, I don't know, I'm hungry, and I don't know if my mom's going to come and give me dinner, and made it look like you don't feed them on a regular basis? How many of y'all parents would be like, you're making me look bad? Like, we feed you every day, you know, three meals at least, you know? That's how we can make the Lord look, being anxious. And we're like, he's not available. Like he doesn't come through. Like he hasn't been faithful. God said, don't be anxious. Bring it to me. Bring it to your heavenly father. And everything with prayer, communicate it to me. Supplication, let your, let's let your needs be made known to God. Prayer, supplication with thanksgiving. In the midst of all that, you always have something to be thankful for. Amen. If you don't have anything else to be thankful for, but the fact that you're in relationship with the Lord, most of us have much more than that to be thankful for. God says, as you're lifting up your needs, don't forget to give thanks. Don't forget, don't forget the power of praise. Can I just pause for a moment and tell you guys this praise can be supernatural, right? Paul and Silas were in prison for doing what God told them to do. They were in the, 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 the bottom of the prison. And what did they do all night? They worshiped, they sang. It was a witness and God moved supernaturally on their behalf. Job, when he lost everything, Money gone, kids dead, wife tripping. She was. Go read it. She told him to curse God and die. It says that he tore his clothes, fell in the, fell in the ashes, and he, he worshiped. He worshiped. Thank the Lord. He said, Lord, naked I came. Naked I'll go. The Lord is given. The Lord is taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And the scripture says in all that, the worst day of his life, he didn't sin with his lips. There can, worship can be supernatural. And so he says, look, don't get anxious. Everything in prayer, let your needs be made known, your supplications, but thanksgiving. Here's something that thanksgiving does. As you take a moment to just give thanks, sometimes as you give thanks, you're, you're, you're having to remember 
what the Lord's already done as you're giving thanks. Lord, thank you for your faithfulness here. Thank you for blessing me in that way. Thank you for my wife. Thank you for my kids. Thank you for the provision over here. And it's good for my faith. When I, I spend some time giving thanks, and I just let the tape run of giving thanks, I get reminded of all that God has already done. Because And now the thing that I'm asking for now doesn't seem so insurmountable because God, like, you've been faithful with all these other things. Don't forget to give thanks in the midst of your praying. Amen. So don't be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer, supplication, and thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. God said, make sure, don't sit there and think about it yourself. Make sure that in prayer with some thanksgiving, you bring it to me. And here's, that's the command. Here's what God promises. I, in my Bible, I got a Bible marking system. I highlight commands in blue and I highlight promises in green. And so throughout my Bible, whenever there's a command with a promise attached, you'll see a blue green. This is one of those blue green. The command, be anxious for nothing, but instead with everything, give, uh, with prayer, supplication, um, and thanks, give thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the promise in verse seven. And the peace of God, which passes understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. The peace of God. The peace of God is an amazing thing because God can give you his peace when things aren't peaceful. Amen. The peace of God does not mean that everything goes well, that you have peace because it's peaceful. The peace of God is supernatural because God will give you peace in the midst of a storm. God will give you peace in the midst of a difficult scenario. You can have supernatural peace and God promises to the person that instead of being anxious, will pray. He says, I'll make sure that the peace of God will guard. The peace of God is going to be with you and it's going to do two things. It's going to guard your hearts. How many guys by, you can raise your hands on this. How many guys are emotional and you know it? How many guys tend to be emotional? Raise your hands, raise them up, raise them up. All right, all right, all right. How many guys are intellectual? You, you think and overthink many things. Raise your hand if you think. You're thinking too much about whether you raise your hand or not, right? Some of y'all, some of y'all, that's, those, are, those are the thinkers, right? Those two areas where we kind of mess up. Some of us are very emotional and we feel and everything is about how I feel. And emotional people, can, it can be a real hindrance because I, I, I got to remind us that, you, you know, your emotions are just an extension of your flesh. Y'all know that? Your emotions are not the Holy Spirit. They're not led by their, this is just your emotions, how you feel. And so some people are really hindered and, and jammed up because their emotions are so strong. They're emotional people. You can't fix that, but you can let the Lord govern that. And God says, if you'll, instead of being anxious, pray, I'll guard your hearts, which is the seat of your emotions. I'll protect you from that. That part of you that wants to get emotion, wants to feel too much. God says, as you pray, I'll override those things. And so maybe you can look back at your past and see that you've made mistakes by emo- being over emotional. You made an emotional decision. You did something in the, in, the, in the flesh that way. God said, if you'll pray instead, I'll guard you from doing that. And then some of us are not maybe as emotional, but we overthink everything. We're intellectuals. We think and we run things through our brain. You stay up all night and you can't sleep because you're thinking about stuff. God said, I'll guard your minds also. I'll guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Those are the two areas where people mess up. So instead of being anxious, if you pray, God said, I'll guard your heart and I'll guard your mind through Christ Jesus. I will set guard over those areas that instead of being messed up, um, You'll, 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 you'll have peace in those things. And so um, being anxious can, can rob us of our joy, but God gives us in verses six and seven a remedy, what we can do about it. Now in verse eight, this is the fourth one. 
Meditating on the wrong things can rob you of your joy in the Lord. This is a big one because there are things that happen every day, um, good and bad. And there are legitimate difficult things that we will endure in our time and space on earth. The death of a loved one is something that uh, I know for me personally, when my mother died, that was the that was the that was the hardest hit I'd experienced in my life concerning a death. One, because it's my parent. Um, I realized as it happened that, wow, this can only happen once. I only got one mother. She's gone. It's forever. Um, that was a hit for me. And when it first happened, um, you know, I had pictures. I, I had to empty out the places she was living. And there was a season where I just said, man, looking at the pictures or the video or any of that stuff, it just kind of brings me, there's no, it doesn't uplift me right now. So I got to make a decision. You know, I asked my wife, I said, can you take all that stuff and just put it out, put it in the box, put it out in the garage. I'll be able to come back to it later, but right now I can't do it. It just bums me out. So I don't want to be, I don't want to sit around and be like, I'm just going to sit there and look at it and look at it. I'm going to be depressed. That's the, that's what's going to happen. If I choose to meditate on something that's just a bummer, I'm going to end up depressed. And some of you guys, maybe you, you hear some bad news. If you choose to sit down and just look at it, the bad news, it's going to be bad news the whole time you're looking at it. Y'all know that. It's not going to change. It's not, it's not going to turn into good news. And so that's how people get depressed. So Paul tells us, look, meditating on the wrong thing can rob you of your joy in the Lord. He's going to tell us what to meditate on. Look at verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, Whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report. If there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. That word meditate means to esteem, to put together with one's mind. Um, And so Paul is saying, look, finally, brethren, take control of what you choose to give your mind to. Because meditating on the wrong thing can rob you of joy. I'm going to tell you the things you should meditate on. Things that are true. These mean things that are false or not. not, uh, True means not false or unreliable, but genuine and real. So if there are things that are true, you can meditate on those. And the word of God is true. Meditate on the word of God. And and I I believe it means true in an uplifting way. True in an edifying sort of way. For anything noble. Noble means honorable or morally attractive. And so if there's something honorable, somebody you know that's doing really well, some, some young couple that's honoring God, meditate on that. Think about that for a while. Anything that's just, just means something that's righteous, both towards God and man. Some of you know about this just, it's righteous, meditate on that. Anything pure, pure would, would, would refer to high moral character of a person's life. If there's somebody you know walking in their purity, Maybe you know some youngsters and they're, they're virgins and they're waiting on the Lord. Meditate on that for a little while. How you didn't do it, they didn't. No, I'm just kidding. So, <laughs> meditate on that. Meditate on something pure. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Anything lovely. Lovely has the idea of that which is something that's admirable or agreeable. Um, something admirable or agreeable to behold or to consider. Something lovely. Meditate on that. Then he just says, anything of good report. Ain't good news. Somebody you know got a job. Somebody you know getting married. Somebody you know having a baby that's married. It's a good news, you know. So anything of anything of good report. Any good reports? Meditate on those things. Anything of virtue. Virtue of, uh, uh, speaks of moral excellence. 
Then lastly, he just says, if there's anything praiseworthy, uh, something that deserves to be commended before the Lord, meditate on these things. Can I encourage you to take charge of what your mind does? The Bible says that we're to take our thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ. Amen? And so if you're someone that lets your mind just run free with bad thoughts, some of y'all be arguing with people in the car and they're not there. You're meditating on the wrong thing. So that's, that's the evidence that you're meditating wrong. So Paul said, don't be that person. You have to be singing praise songs, you know, memorizing verses, something praiseworthy. But he says, meditate on these things. Um, if we do, it will keep us from um, meditating on the wrong things that can rob us of our joy. These things will help us to maintain a joyful disposition in the Lord. The last thing in verse 9, following wrong examples can rob you of your joy in the Lord. Paul says in verse 9, the things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do and the God of peace will be with you. Paul says, follow my example. This thing you guys, and notice all the things he said. Look, the things that you have learned while I was teaching you and received and heard and saw in me, these do. Paul has lifted himself up as an example before. He said, follow me as I follow Christ. Everybody here wants to be, you're responsible to the Lord for who you let be an example to you, who you let be a leader to you. Anybody here ever followed someone's advice and it didn't go well for you? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. All right. I hope they're not sitting next to you. So, because um, that can happen and it'll rob you. I did what you told me to do, man, and it didn't, it didn't go well. You don't want to do that. You want to be careful who you, who you put in that position. Ultimately, we want to follow the Lord. But God will put people in our lives, mentors, spiritual leaders, people that we can seek out for guidance or whatever. Be careful. Right? Paul says, look, just follow my example. Follow me as I'm following Christ. Be careful about following friends. Be careful about taking bad counsel. Um, I found this as a Christian that counsel is cheap. Everybody have an opinion about everything. And many times people that haven't prayed for two minutes have opinion about what you should do. Don't, don't, don't. I, this, that's a rule for me. I'm not hearing counsel. I'm not taking advice from anybody that's not praying. And I got people in my life that I know pray for me. And I know they pray for my family. I know they care about me. And those are the people I'm going to go to and say, hey, bro, I'm battling with this, or I'm struggling with that, or I'm thinking about this. And I know they're going to pray with me, pray for me, and counsel is going to be something that's prayed through. I found that I could ask 20 people something, they all have an opinion. It's not prayed through. Um, they don't have to live with the consequences of it either. Right? You got to live with the consequences of it, don't you? So be careful about who you're following. I know there's TV shows. Everybody's a counselor. Y'all know that half of these people that are doing shows about how, how to do a good marriage don't have a good marriage. Steve Harvey telling everybody he's writing books and his situation, not great. There are other people out there, you know, giving marital advice. Oprah Winfrey, she ain't, she ain't even married. Amen. I'm so, um, I go on and on, but everybody got counsel and advice, writing books as though, but they don't, they don't have, there's no proof in the pudding. So my rule is if, if I'm going to take marital advice, I'm only taking marital advice from people that have been married a long time and they're doing good. If you ain't loving your wife, don't tell me nothing. I'm trying to stay married, you know? So when I meet somebody, I've been married 48 years, bro. Can I talk to you? I'm going to, I counsel me, sir. 
I'm, I'm open. I want to hear. Somebody, you know, you and your fifth divorce, um, I'm, I'm, bro, I, I don't want to hear it, you know. I'm not letting broke people give me financial advice either. So, <laughs> so again, Paul says, follow my example. And it's one of the ways that following wrong examples can rob you of joy. But if you find there'll be people that God puts in your life to be a, a leader. God will, God's faithful to do that. You look through the scriptures and God, you know, who did he give Joshua? Gave Joshua Moses. He was preparing him for what he was going to be. God would set people up with people in their lives that, that would love God and be a good example. And I'm, I, we all should have people in our lives. We, every, everybody should have a Paul and every Paul, everybody should have a Timothy. We should have somebody we're pouring into and someone that's pouring into us. Let the, let the, make sure that you're listening to those people that God put in your life. Um, sometimes it's easier to listen to peer level people that they, because they understand your mess more, but maybe they can't give you good counsel and they're not going to be a good leader for you. And so God's raised up people in the church that are leaders, that, that, have, that have a track record of walking with the Lord for years and they're, they're, they're doing well in all the key areas. Let those be the people that you let speak into your life. Um, and again, as we wrap this up tonight, these were five areas where I, I believe, as Paul laid them out, these are areas where people's joy is ripped off. Personal conflict. So once again, if that's, that one spoke to you, um, we're going to have a prayer in just a moment. And I'm praying that you would respond to the Lord. That you wouldn't just hear this word. You wouldn't just hear a message and leave church tonight. But if you're sitting here tonight in your seat and you're like, I got personal conflict. I'm begging you that you would resolve it in your seat by yourself before the Lord. God, I, I choose tonight, I'm going to forgive them. I'm going to release them. If you need to do something, you do it. But then you deal with it where you're sitting. The second thing was bad attitudes. If you got a bad attitude, he said, you need to rejoice in the Lord. And again, you need to rejoice. and Let your gentleness be known to all men. Um, you, need, you, want to, you need to respond to that. Don't continue to be, have a bad attitude as a child of God. If you're battling with anxiety over, so you're worrying about stuff too much, God says, stop worrying and start praying. And he made you a promise that he will guard your heart and your mind. He will give you the peace of God that passes understanding. He will guard your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. Uh, fourth, the fourth thing was if you're meditating on the wrong things. He gave us in verse 8 things that we need to meditate on. We choose to meditate on those things. And lastly, if you're following wrong examples, stop doing that. Follow the examples of the people that God put in your life. You might have to follow the examples of people in the scriptures. And so God raises up people in your life. But if God raised up leaders and people in your life, make sure you take heed to those that God has established to direct you and lead you. Amen? And so, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you care about our joy and that these things are written, that we might know how to, how to maintain joy, how to walk in joy. Uh, God, I pray for all those that are listening, all the believers that are here tonight. If there are any that, uh, that this spoke to them in a different way, I pray you'd help them to, to respond, help them to yield to you in whatever area it is that you've spoken. And also, Lord, I pray if there are any people that are here tonight and they're not even in relationship with you yet, God, I pray by your spirit, you would draw them to yourself, that they might come to know you. Um, and I'm going to just ask this. I don't, I don't ever want to make the assumption that everybody in a room knows the Lord. Um, if you're here and you're listening tonight and um, you don't, you're not confident if you die tonight, you would go to heaven. You don't know that, that your sins are forgiven, that you're right with the Lord. Maybe you're not right with the Lord. You don't know him at all. Maybe you're a prodigal. You've been walking in disobedience, but you're here tonight. And you want to come back. You want to make things right. You want to be forgiven. Um, we want to pray for you. We want to pray that God would just start a fresh 
new work in your life. Bible teaches that Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of our sins. Uh, it's, his, it's his joy. It's what he wants to do. He wants to forgive you and cleanse you and renew you and receive you. And so if there's anybody here tonight that you're sitting in your seat and you say, you know what, I, I need to get right with my God. Would you raise up your hand? We would love to pray for you tonight that God would, God would do that in your life. I bless you. Anybody here that God's got you here tonight, God bless you. Wonderful. No shame, guys. God bless you over here. There's no shame in reaching out to receive from Jesus. God bless you in the back. I see you guys. There's never shame in saying, Jesus, I want what you offer. I want to be forgiven. I want to be restored. I want things to be right. Amen. Amen. And this is what God did for us, for all those hands that are going up. Um, God knows your heart. God knows your situation. He knows everything. God knows that we're, we're messed up people. It says in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's everybody. It says in Romans 6.23 that the, the payday, the, the wages of sin is death. Eternal separation from God in a place called hell. But then God did something. Romans 5.8 says that God demonstrated his love towards you and me. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died. So he's not waiting for you to clean it up. He's, he's, he's looking for you to bring it to him. That he can cleanse you and forgive you and receive you. And then he says in Romans 10, 9 and 10, if you would confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And I want to lead us in a prayer to do just that, just to confess Jesus as Lord, ask him to forgive us and to receive us. So for those that are raising their hands, I'm going to lead you in this prayer. I ask you to pray it out loud. If you're here as a believer, you can pray this out loud with them. We're going to confess Jesus as Lord. And so pray this to the Lord. Say, God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to die on the cross for my sins. Thank you that he rose from the grave and conquered sin, death, and Satan for me. Jesus, I confess you to be the Lord of my life. I surrender all that I am to you tonight. Please fill me with your Holy Spirit. Give me strength to walk with you from this day on. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys.